This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Scott Papadakalakalis, <laughs> and um, I'm 29 years old and just a little boy, and I've been working on Donald Trump's campaign as a volunteer foreign policy expert, but I'm not an expert. And you know what, Robert Mueller? I pled guilty, but I didn't do anything. All I did was fly to Russia, get some information, then give it back to Trump's people. But I didn't give it to Trump, just his people like his son and his son-in-law and his campaign manager, but no one important, so I shouldn't go to jail. You really like ripping off Bodega Boys on the show. <laughs> Bodega Boys do that as well? They well, do all of that, They yes. do all of it. Yes. Are you, Stanley, so what are you, like, just imitating the Bodega Boys? What's goody? Yes. Oh, my God. All right, guys. So welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, not the Bodega Boys, where we talk about... Exactly. <laughs> right. We talk Live about, for the hive, die for the hive. Die for the hive. Um, where we talk about politics, social issues, foreign policy, and we do that all from a diverse millennial perspective. What's so diverse about us? Well, we have... A black? No, we, we are... <laughs> we have diverse backgrounds. Like? And some diversity of thought and perspective. Are we all liberals? You are a far left progressive. And I'm just... Uh, I'm a farther left progressive. No, uh, you might. You're definitely farther left than me. Certainly. Yes, Stanley, you're extremely far left and Am I? far left. And I'm socially conservative, even though my politics are progressive. That's not even true. You are you are, kidding me? No, you might be conservative in your own personal Personally life, conservative. but as as someone who you know cares about politics and about people's rights i don't think that you care too much what other people are doing you just live your life a certain way but you, i don't see you casting judgment on other people is that what that means she i've been telling everyone i'm socially conservative she casts judgment on me all the time yeah well yeah true. but you're you know you're the, the worst so that we all judge you uh, well anyways guys this is let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whc are the voice of harlem if you were just tuning in good because we are too we just got here <laughs> And we have an action-packed show ready for you guys. But before we get to that, let me tell you who was in the studio. The only person that matters, Stanley Fritz. And if you want to talk to me, let's talk on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on Instagram at Stan Fritz or on Snapchat at, you guessed it, Dark Skin Swindle. I'm Selena Hill, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. And I spell it with an M-S. And I'm Jackie Cohen, and I'm losing my voice, a little raspy right now. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jackie Cohen. That's J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. We're missing Alyssa Fuchs today because she's yes. running the marathon. But you know just who kidding. She's is, just watching it. You know who is subsidizing for Alyssa? <laughs> she's debating the marathon. No, no. You know who's subsidizing for Alyssa? Jackie's engagement ring. Uh, it is that big, <laughs> and it is taking Alyssa's place. Right, and it has its now. own name. And persona. Well, you you violently. What's still in Harlem? The jokes could still happen. <laughs> Jackie has a very small ring Sorry, that he got from the I twenty-five have a, cent store. I, what ring? You wilding. Selena. You clearly are from the suburbs. You you <laughs> wilding, bro. I didn't. Oh, sorry. You're trying Listen, to get the. Me the, and Cardi B got engaged uh, on I the same a, day no i think a couple days apart you're trying to get the ubers with the shooters hers is much up. bigger so <laughs> oh yeah cardi. right yours is bigger than cardi b's engagement yo ring. chill chill <laughs> jackie gonna have some Everybody people run up on her in westchester 
Eller er jo mig? Ja. Keep my business to yourself, Selena. Yeah. Sorry, you but thank you for your congratulations. Yes, Sorry. I got engaged last week, which was very exciting. I'm very, I was very excited. I'm Ooh, just excited Jackie. about the um, engagement. His name is Ben, and you would. Ben, don't do it. <laughs> you can I'm uh, you right send now, your Stanley. condolences to Ben Sussman. I can't you. wait to stand up at a wedding. Yeah, <laughs> Stanley texted me. First of all, this is how little Stanley knows about like how Jewish weddings work. Stanley goes, when the rabbi says, speak now or forever hold your peace, I'm going to start blasting sorry by, Be- uh, by Beyonce, the explicit version. Sorry, but, I'm not sorry. Yeah, so thank you, Stanley, for, uh, for your support. I ain't sorry. Stanley's going to cry at my wedding. Jackie, I'm telling nah. you right now. I'm going to hand all the tissues to Stanley. For ben. It's going to be for Ben. <laughs> She's going to cry for Ben. I can't miss Stanley. All right, guys. So we have a great show lined up. We're starting the show talking about Russia Gate and everything that has unfolded in the past seven days. Nice. So, of course, we'll have a long conversation about that. Later on, we'll go over some of the other news stories of the week, including the GOP's plan to reform taxes, um, the terrorist attack that happened here in yeah, New York City, downtown and how. Had in the, just this week. Donna Brazil's email. Um, yes. Op-ed, which I'm totally and, confused about now. Yeah. Because she said she had proof that Hillary rigged the, the election. But then everyone I know in politics, besides like people who are super for, for Bernie, have said that like this is a normal thing that happens. So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about today. And then later on, we'll be talking about what, Selena? We'll be talking about how and why DNA Info and the Gothamists have been shut down <sighs> and what this means for the state of journalism, alternative media, black it's media, awful. and uh, journalists who want to unionize. That owner is such a piece of... He is. He's a jerk. I, you I, know, I, yeah. he really is. We're going to talk about Joe Ricketts. Yeah. We're going to go in depth about it. The Trump-supporting Chicago Cubs owner. Yeah, right. And, right. you know, there was a great... There was an Onion article that came out this week in response. It was basically like... You know, why, like, th- reactions to the Gothamist on uh, DNA Info shutdown, and it says something like, oh, well, I don't know why those writers would want to unionize when their boss seems like such a reasonable, level-headed person. <laughs> so, exactly. Well, I don't know right there. And, of course, guys, if you want to let your voice be heard, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at beheard underscore radio we have a great show. We definitely want you to chime in on all of the ruckus no, that is don't. going on. Of course we do, guys. No, we don't. So tweet us, and we're going to try to get this Facebook Live popping as well. We'll be right back. This no, is I'm Let not. Your Voice Be Heard. What's going on, guys? We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you can't see me, it's because I'm looking at the computer because I got to read my notes. Don't hate. Congratulate, Selena Hill. I can see all your teeth right now, and I don't appreciate that. So, guys, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And we are back after a brief break, and I am here to give you some breaking news. If you're wondering where I've been this week, I've mostly we been haven't sh- been so. <laughs> well, you know what, Jackie? Next, <laughs> you're gonna be wondering soon. Oh God! With your green scarf, loser. <laughs> Anyways, guys, Jackie has on a green scarf, and I'm gonna make fun of her about it's that a for the rest of my life. Oh, it looks oh, nice, oh. and it goes with her ring. Oops, <gasps> Selena. <laughs> Yo, we discussed this. <laughs> Selena making making the block hot. Anyway, Stanley's really trying, and we're really uh. Mm-hmm. 
not trying to let me be great. You see this? This is why we need a men's rights group. No, we don't. But I can't. Stanley, I can't even make that would, joke. No, you, we can't. You need to be the leader of black men who don't treat treat because you always talk about that. Listen, as the spokesperson for faithful black men who love right. Jesus, right? <laughs> but you are just, not. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, so where have you been this week? Yeah. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for getting <laughs> back on topic. Even though certain people I derailed to, you and then brought you back. Yes, that's exactly. So where have I been this week, guys? I have been struggling to get the power back on in my apartment. Um, something that's actually still happening right now. Um, there's a fifty fifty chance that like I'm gonna have to run home at any second to like make sure like that is situated. Not during the show. Oh yes, please during, during the, the show. Stanley, do the, not even give me a panic attack. So <laughs> But you know, I thought. I mean, you gotta go, right? Like you no, just no. gotta go right now. So like, Jackie bye. wants to lead the show. <laughs> Jackie wants to lead the show so bad. But like the thing about the thing that's been so frustrating about this power outage is like there's like a clear reason of why it happened. And I like I've been dealing with the content people and I've been dealing with our electrician. And it seems like no matter how much I point to like, hey, this thing is broken. You guys broke it. You had to fix it. No one wants to listen to keep gaslighting the crap out of me. So finally, I got the content guy in on Friday. Uh-huh. And, and he comes to my apartment and he looks at the meter and I'm like he's working on the meter. About 30 minutes passes. I'm on a phone conference. All of a sudden, I hear him trying to sneak out. So I grab him. I'm like, where are you going? He goes, oh, there was, there's a thing with your power. I'm like, what's the problem? He goes, well, it looks like you are missing a fuse. And I go, well, that's what I've been telling you the entire time. That's what I've been telling everyone and they would not listen to me. He still refused to acknowledge what I had to say and kept trying to put it onto the electrician. Long story short, my power is back on, but there may be some more issues. And the reason I, I, I start the show off with that segment is because just to talk about what happens when A, people refuse to be accountable, oh. B, when people try to gaslight when the facts are there, and see what happens when they're forced to acknowledge the facts. Because right now in America, we are being forced to acknowledge the facts. What we have seen since November was. Ninth or tenth that Trump got elected to be orange. I think it was like the seventh of 2016. Whatever it was, it was a horrible day. I forget. It was. I had, there was a lot of alcohol. I blocked it. Yeah, it was like a lot of alcohol <laughs> yeah. those two oh, days. Oh God. Um, a lot of a lot of bad vices. But anyway, since Trump has been elected, there's been this big argument that says, "Hey, the way that this, this election went down, there seems something fishy about it. We think there was some kind of Russian involvement." We've seen it in the media. We've seen it in reports. We've seen it from people. We've seen it from Russia. Hell, we've seen it from Trump. But no matter how hard we screamed and shouted and yelled and pointed at the evidence, nobody would listen to us or they would just gas gaslight us and tell us we were wrong. Well, that was until Monday when Robert Mueller, the person who's been appointed to do an FBI investigation on Donald Trump and whether he had he colluded with Russia for the election, put out his first report. And what had happened? Well... Robert Mueller indicted two of Trump's top two staffers in the 2016 presidential election, Paul Manafort and Robert Gates. And what did he get them for? He indicted them in federal court for, the, for, one, trying to coordinate meetings between Trump's campaign and Russia, two, offering to provide Trump's campaign and Russia information on each other, three, for money laundering, for shuffling $75 million through offshore accounts to live lavish, to live lavishly, spending over $3 million just on antiques. And then, of course, four, for lying to the FBI about this when they asked him about it. That was just Paul Manafort and, of course, his protege, Robert Gates. That was the first stone to drop on Monday. So all of a sudden now they see, oh, there's a broken fuse. 
And once that happened, just like the guy that came to fix my light, they still try to find a way to lie about it. So people started to say, well, this proves that Donald Trump is innocent, that Paul Manafort, maybe he did something, but that's not up to Donald Trump because he was a bad guy all the time. And this Rick Gates guy, we barely know him. And the energy was shifting over there. But then all of a sudden, Robert Mueller, like DMX, when he dropped two albums in less than seven months... <laughs> had another hit for us. At about one o'clock in the afternoon, we learned that Trump's foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos, had pled guilty to charges of lying to the FBI. Can now, I just say, I'm ve- well done. You pronounce that. Papadopoulos is <laughs> not a hard word. That, Papadopoulos, that's, I love, I just like saying it. I can't say <laughs> the so easy ones. You have ones. butchered easier names. Exactly. So, so be like, hello, Mr. Smorosius. <laughs> the last name will be Smith. Yeah. And she'll butcher it. But, be nice. But I digress. I digress. So the, here's a gag about the Papadopoulos arrest. <laughs> Paul Manafort. Papa, Papa Papa Doc. Isn't he from 8 Mile? So anyway, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Manafort had his house raided at 6 a.m. Back, back in late July, right? The next day, Papadopoulos got arrested while he was coming off of a plane, which means from July until now, Papadopoulos has still been communicating with some people from that Trump universe. He probably had a wire on him. Well, that's the thing. And so getting into it. So Papadopoulos was, I believe, arrested or charged in July, like end of July, July 27th, I believe. And only this week did he plead guilty. Yep. So that that's a long time for stuff to happen. And, you know, you can hear it like I was listening to uh, Preet Bharara, the former Southern District Attorney's podcast, where they're speculating. But, you know, there's there's anybody that can correctly speculate what's happening in this case right now. It would be Preet Bharara, I would say. Um, And he was saying that, you know, there's a lot of time there for him. I mean, ultimately, he is not like the big person like the big fish that they're trying to get at and so if if he wore a wire if you know if there was any way for Robert Mueller and his team to get him to flip um you know that was the time to do it and in order to get him to do that he would have to plead guilty he would have to acknowledge his crime right and then accept a lesser sentence in exchange for um, doing this work to get a bigger fish. Let in me this tell case, you yeah. what the charges were. So the charges against Papadopoulos go back to this January when he was interviewed by the FBI about his conversations with Russia during the campaign. Papadopoulos had in fact worked with multiple individuals claiming to be connected to the Russian government. So he is being charged with lying to the FBI. He is being charged with money laundering. Also, he is also being charged. Pardon me for one second. I had to get on my notes. Um, he is also being charged with obstruction of justice. And that's what he has pled guilty to so far. But like we said, those months he was floating around, he could have been he could have been helping the snitch. So now, <laughs> after flying out with all this information saying that Manafort was nobody, the Trump campaign, Breitbart, Fox News, and all these other places got eerily quiet. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden now, they didn't know how to respond to this. They have since reacted by saying that Papadopoulos was, was a 29-year-old intern who didn't have much access to Trump and that he was just a kid and that he wasn't very helpful. But every single document that we have from that Manafort report, a 31 page report that you guys should look at, we'll tweet it out later for you, shows that Papadopoulos was very involved in the campaign and that he was communicating with people, including Jeff Sessions, about his intentions to go to Russia, which, by the way, may put Jeff Sessions in even even hotter water because Jeff Sessions said he had no knowledge of any conversations about Russia. And that right. He perjured himself. Right. And then he recused himself in the investigation because he said that he had no knowledge of any conversations when we know that it was a lie. No, this is another lie now on top of. Right. Exactly. Right. So he was already in hot water, like you said. Yeah. He might be in Bacon Hennessy. So, guys. There's, there's way more to the story than that, but without our legal expert, Alyssa, here, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. What I want to do is start getting petty and start <laughs> nice. talking. So, 
first of stop all. Stop being polite and stop <laughs> being or start being real. Oh gosh, she's a loser, guys. I can't believe she's <laughs> real <this> world. <sighs> this is not the real world. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> this is not the real world. world. So before we get to Papadopoulos, which is like very clearly like Mueller's like big play here. Yeah. When these charges against Robert Mueller came out, like what did you think about By the, Robert Mueller. By sorry, when these charges against Paul Manafort came out by Robert Mueller, what were your thoughts on this, Selena? Well, we knew that that was gonna happen. We knew that people were getting indicted. Um, I think that a lot of people were sort of suspecting it was Paul Manafort because his relations and activity with the Kremlin uh were well documented. Uh and the fact that he was um involved with um before he even jumped on Trump's campaign is something that was well known. So I, I think people knew that Paul Manafort was probably going to be indicted. Um, I think the big shocker was definitely George Papadopoulos when we found out that he was probably wearing a wire, that he pleaded guilty, and that he has um, probably, uh, not only that, but there are probably more other people who are, like I think, heavily cooperating with Robert Mueller and the investigation, too. And I think that the White House response was sort of typical. Like, all of a sudden, like, Donald Trump started tweeting that George Papadopoulos was, like, just, like, a coffee boy and that he wasn't really involved in the campaign, even though he clearly recommend, um, recommended him on LinkedIn. And well, then... <laughs> well, no, he did. No, no I, I know, mean, I know. I just want to stop you guys for a yeah. second and tell you a little bit more about George Papadopoulos. So, on his, they did find him on LinkedIn. On his resume... <laughs> He said that he had done Model UN and he had once ran for student government. That was like the extent oh, so of his experience funny. to be a foreign policy advisor. We he have is now definitely learned. 29. <laughs> he's 30. Now, he's 30. Na- no, he's 29. No, he's, he's 30. Just, he's just a kid. Stanley, we, he's 30 have, years old. So we have just learned that he he's lied about. He's younger than Stanley. Yes, we have just learned that he lied about being on a Model UN. So <laughs> that he was lied like, about being a model UN. Yes. Who lies about being a model UN? That's the nerdiest. Yes, thing yes, he is. Well, um, Selena's gonna go on Google to prove herself wrong. Ex- oh no, to God. prove you wrong. So, but guys, I don't, I don't want to like be fighting over Papadopoulos's age or you know or things like that. What I do want to talk to you guys about though is we saw the reaction from mainstream media, but what what do you guys think about some of the reaction we've seen from places like Fox News and the like? Well, I, they're not. I mean, it's it's. First of all, I want to just talk about my reaction to it a little bit, too, to answer that. Like, I, um, you know, it's not shocking, but what's which is weird, I think. Right. That it's this is not shocking that this came out this week, but it is kind of weird because if it was any other presidency, I think that this would be shocking news. Um, and it's sort of, you know, it will see what happens. And there's a lot more to to learn about this case. But it is sort of weird how how normal and not shocking this news was this week. Um, but the media response, I mean, I, I haven't really followed Fox News. I don't have cable and I certainly well, don't expect to be watching a ton of Fox News if I did have cable, but I doubt it was very... Um, yeah, so, I mean, well, Fox News is one of Donald Trump's biggest allies, and what they've been doing is pretty much brushing the charges and the um, indictments under the rug. They've been pretty <laughs> dismissive about it. Well, before sure. you... Not even just dismissive. Here's what Fox News was actually doing. When CNN, MSNBC, NPR, hell, ESPN... Um, MSG, everyone was covering the, the news early in the morning. Fox News, Fox and Friends was talking about the new hamburger emoji. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's important. Were they too talking about Benghazi? No, the no. cheese does need to be above the patty. Selena. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. The cheese goes below the patty. Wait, you no watch one your watch cheese below a patty, Stanley. Fox is getting us. Look, you see? <laughs> 
Do you see? <laughs> that they're winning. <laughs> but no, but they were talking about that. Then they started talking about Hillary Clinton and Benghazi. They were literally talking about emojis. Yes, they talked about emojis. They were like, there were so many other things if they weren't going to talk about this that they could talk about yes. that would still be somewhat of importance besides like the hamburger. Okay. Wow. Yes, they wow. were talking about emojis. Fox and Friends, they did not mention the, the Russian story at all. It did not get mentioned until about 1 o'clock in the afternoon at the multiple media outlets had called them out for not talking about it. And even then, when they mentioned it, the way they framed it was that mainstream media is going after Trump again and then asking the question openly of should Robert Mueller be fired? And then several Fox correspondents said that Robert Mueller should be fired. At one point, someone said that Hillary Clinton should be hung or at least investigated. Oh my God. That's the conversation that was happening on Fox News. On Breitbart, a lot of the same things. So there was a huge section of people who are Trump supporters or not, but were not getting this news, which brings me to the point that I was, I was kind of leading to is... You you guys all know people who are Trump supporters or who don't think like us. What have they been saying about this investigation? They think that it's not a real issue. They or think they're that, not bringing it up. You or, know, or they I, think it's a witch hunt. Yeah, I don't. I I haven't heard anything from Trump supporters that I know about this, which is funny because usually if it was you know if if Obama <laughs> if Obama like said something the wrong way. The Trump supporters that I know would jump down my throat about it. So it's interesting that they've been eerily quiet about this whole issue. Yeah, and it may be because they're just not as informed or because the way Fox News has been operating as a vehicle of propaganda for the Trump administration, they think that it's not really a big deal either. And I think that uh, what Donald Trump has been doing on Twitter is he's been deflating and deflecting. That's something that he has always done, and he does it pretty well when it comes to his base. So he's like, oh, but look at the Dems. We, I told you Crooked Hillary stole the primary from Crazy Bernie, and then Crazy Bernie started trending on Twitter. And, right. then that's, the, and that's where everyone's attention continues to go. So, I mean, I mean it, it's sad, but it, and it's a sad reality. But it, we will also talk about the state of journalism and media in the next segment. But this is this the way that the uh, Fox News is operating as a prominent media cable news source is, is scary. It is scary. So, guys, we are going on a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask the question I'm asking now so you guys can think about it is what if Robert Mueller gets all the evidence to prove that not only did Donald Trump collude with Russia, but that the Republican Party and other people helped Russia to get these messages out? Will anything happen? And if nothing happens, will anyone care? We'll be right back, guys. White girl, iced tea, fully loaded, AP. Stanley, so what gibberish were you rapping just now? I just voted them because elections are on Tuesday. That's what I was saying. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Selena Hill, and she has her Windows PC, Windows 98 computer. Stop and of it. course, I'm also here with Jackie. Recently AKA J Money. J Money stacks Zaddy. Hold on, hold on. You can call her money, but when I make a reference to something I won't name again, I'm like in the wrong. Because you said something, even though you didn't mean it to be, was sort of anti Semitic. No, and wait, then, was it? About oh, the ring? No, 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 no. I, oh, Wait, what? Yeah. Really? No, I'm saying that when I made a reference to something that I'm not going to talk about anymore, oh. you were guys are like, oh, no, you're putting Jackie in danger. <laughs> but when you call her J-Money, she's not in danger? Well, one, J-Money Stacks is just an empty nickname. Plenty of people with no money have money in their names. 
like Young Money, which has no money. <laughs> and I thought that Young it was Money like, doesn't have any money now. Birdman cannot pay is is being sued by Aww. Lil Wayne for forty five million dollars because he my did not. God. He, Birdman has a history of being sued by artists because he doesn't pay them Yikes. their money. Yikes! Yes, but. Anyways, guys, we gotta get back on topic. <laughs> anyway, Donald Trump. So, yes. <laughs> Paul so, Manafort. So, guys, we are back. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill, and of course, Jackie Cohen. Alyssa Fuchs is not here because she's arguing with the New York City Marathon. <laughs> I'm sure she will win that argument. When have you ever seen Alyssa lose an argument, guys? Seriously. And we are talking about the Russia investigation and Mueller's indictments and guilty pleas from this past week of Trump's people. And Jackie has a question. Yeah, so something... Oh, yeah, and if you want to call in, and we definitely want to hear about your, uh, about your thoughts about this ongoing investigation, oh, yeah. the number is 212-650-6903. That's 212-650-6903. So something I was asking off-air that I think is something important to consider is if, if um, Paul Manafort goes down for this, right, and he pleads guilty and he confesses whatever he knows but doesn't take donald trump down with him and then gets convicted and you know in prison for this do we think that donald trump will pardon him and it will mean nothing like is this investigation i think you know best case scenario is that people that colluded with russia that potentially committed acts of treason go down for it right but do we think that it will even matter if donald trump who know we know likes to pardon people do you think he's just going to pardon manafort and it's all going to be over yes but no so i think he's going to pardon manafort but the smart thing that Mueller has done that all the charges aren't just federal charges they're state charges oh. too. so you can't pardon you can't pardon manafort for a new york offense which he's going to have because manafort a part of the charges was manafort bought a mansion with his um, money laundered money i mean a condo with his money laundered money in new york right. and it was airbnb right. the whole time which you cannot do we actually have laws against that in but New York But is he going to go... He's not going to go to jail for that. No, but, like, they have other things, too. That was just one example of, like... But, there, but that's a good point to bring up, is that the president can't pardon somebody for a state crime. So if investigators are looking into that as sort of, like, insurance... Um, to keep Trump from pardoning him, you know, that that could be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, right. and the fact that Donald Trump would probably consider it is also extremely problematic. Like, he's indicated on Twitter that if he could fire Robert Mueller and get away with it, he would. Of course. But, and, and the thing is, like, he doesn't care about the optics. Like, it just further incriminates him, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other rational thinking people. But he's just like, oh, well, it's fake news. Everyone's lying, except up for me like it's ridiculous and it's like how how dumb can his base be like i don't even understand how he continues to pull the wool over their eyes are they that like blindly in love with this man like, what you gotta remember selena and we'll talk more about the media in the next segment is that the right literally has a propaganda wing supporting everything that they say we talked about Fox News. They were talking about cheeseburger emojis when this news was breaking. Breitbart, you have Infowars, you have um, Stormfront. There's literally an entire machine pushing this information. And then also a president who is constantly trying to delegitimize mainstream media. He says CNN is fake. He says MSNBC is fake. He, said that, he says that they're going after him. Right. And his people support that. So it's not ridiculous to think that. But if we're talking about people and we're talking about regular people, how important or even relevant is this news to like a regular American? And when I say that is like, we are not regular Americans in the sense that we died. We like digest like unreasonable amounts of politics and talk about it way more than most people. But what about maybe like Jackie, your grandmother who, um, you know, lives, you know, somewhere else. And then like, maybe like my dad who's in Queens or 
You know, your mom, Selena. My mom is all into this. But the only thing that takes precedent over her fears of the Trump administration is um, the possibility we're going to go to war with uh, North Korea. But like, and she, and like. Yeah, that's I, actually, that's really interesting because that's something I've heard like from my grandparents and like family members like who aren't as, you know, and like, we're not saying that they're not as like, they're not well educated or they're just they're not obsessively yeah. like fawning over politics the way that we are like i always say you know when you're focused on campaigns and politics this amount that's not most people right yeah. what are most people paying attention to and i think that's true i've heard a lot about north korea and sort of like overseas stuff i haven't heard a lot about the president himself um and I think people are paying attention to these like big, 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 scary things and not the individual actions of, of people here in the States that are, you know, leading to these bigger actions o- overseas. A black man who I'm 95 percent sure voted for Trump said to me that the Russia scandal was nothing but elitist conversation. But he's also someone who told me that Pizzagate was real. So I don't know. But honestly, if I go talk to my dad about this, he knows Donald Trump is crazy and he doesn't like him. But that's the extent of his interest. So go ahead, Selena. No, I mean. Well, my question is, if we don't have regular people caring about this, what what's why do if so? If regular people don't care about this, what if we come to a point where Manafort and whoever else gets charged is able to show that there is a clear connection between Donald Trump and Russia, and not just Donald Trump and Russia, but also Mike Pence, Paul Ryan, and RNC, and like this was like very much so a game in which they all colluded together. What if he's able to show that? Well, that's why, I mean, that's why Trump has been so successful in delegitimizing the media, which is something we'll talk about later in the show, and why an independent media is so important to a, to a functioning democracy. Because when you delegitimize the media, people hear about these things and they just don't trust that it's true, right? Mm-hmm. And people are, you know, human nature is is so that you're not really going to admit when you're wrong. You know, we're not, I, I think people on the left are hopeful that out, as these allegations come forth and as more evidence mounts against Trump, all of these Trump supporters are going to say, oh, we are so sorry. We see the error of our ways. We made a mistake. You know, you were right and we were wrong. And how could we? We see now what we've done. But that's not what's going to happen. I think even if people who support Trump start to recognize that there's a problem here, they're not going to make this outward you know, declaration and apology to the rest of the country. They're, they might even dig in even farther because people don't like to admit that they're wrong and they certainly don't want to admit it to people that want them to be wrong more than anything. Yeah. So I think that they're going to find ways to defend Trump even more. And if that includes delegitimizing the media, then they're just going to say, well, the media lies to us. So how can we even trust what they're saying to be true? And what if they do that and then Republicans decide to do nothing about it and Trump stays in power? Then what? Well, I I think that that probably would happen. I think that if we look back to what happened in 1974 when Richard Nixon was, when we had Watergate with President Richard Nixon, his party encouraged him to resign. But I think that because we have such a different cultural shift, a lot of Republicans still support him. Like you have the traditional um, Republicans and then you have the populist Republicans. And I think that the ones who understand and know that their base uh, aggressively supports Trump, they aren't going to recover him, uh, encourage him to resign just for the sake of the party. I think that Donald Trump is running this party into the ground. I think that, you know, in impeachment, it's it's a light. It could happen. But I think that because the way Republicans have been like supporting him, regardless of every single offensive thing and lie he tells is also a big problem. I mean, I think, 
you know, I, I don't know that I agree so much with the cultural shift. I do think that when um, when Watergate happened, there was a greater trust by the American public of the media. And certainly the media was the one that sort of exposed what was happening. We talked a few weeks ago about Vietnam. I mean, there was, you know, there was a, a the media had the ability to shift the collective consciousness as a whole, both left and right in this country and create greater awareness. But now that we've, you know, th- that our politicians have successfully delegitimized media to many Americans, you know, they're, they're less likely to trust what's happening right now to be true. And, you know, what Republicans, what the Republican Party and what the Democratic Party care the most about is getting votes, right? They want to be elected into office. That is their shared ideology. And so if if there's no fear of Trump supporters on the right um, voting against Trump in the next election or voting, you know, against Trump supporters in the midterm elections, then why would the, Re- the Republican Party is not going to do anything for the quote unquote sake of the party and integrity of the party. They're going to do it. All of their actions will be led by the need to get votes. And so if they have no fear of being elected out of office because while they're supporting Trump, they're going to continue to do so. And then if they don't impeach him and there's no consequences, what happens then? Well, to me, if that happens and this was a severe attack on our democracy and we really uh, and it shows that our values as Americans are, aren't aren't being upheld so and nothing, aren't being maintained. So nothing happens. It, it, I mean, if that's if that's the question you're asking, yeah, if nothing happens, you're right, Stanley. I think nothing will happen and it would be it will be horrible. And I think that if Trump. And Republicans and the people who were involved in this mess get away with it. It's just going to open up the door for more people, politicians and elected officials to use shady mechanisms in order to get into office. And that's not to say that they don't already do that. What I'm trying to say is that the intensity level and the severity level here is extreme. And if they can get away with it on this level, then we have an extreme problem. So I I just want to push back just a little bit. On the last part of that, I think that if this if the Republicans don't do anything, what you were seeing are the final steps towards an authoritarian state. That's what you're seeing. And, you know, we should be very clear about that. That's that's how I kept pushing you guys, because if someone can do this and he's behaving this way and now there are no longer any balances to hold them accountable because Republicans refuse to. That's what you're looking at. And if they can get away with that, what's going to stop them from doing other things to, assure, to solidify their power, which they are already doing? And they're trying to do in Virginia, which is why anyone who's in Virginia should should, should go vote for Northam, by the way. So, guys, um, if you have a question, a comment, or you want to respond to what I just said, give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. And the question I want to ask you guys right now is, say, you know, to get the evidence, Trump gets impeached. Mike Pence is in power now. Is that better or worse? I don't know. I really I'm not into this, like, debate. I guess I should be more I like I think people are really afraid of Mike Pence uh, understandably so I think a lot of his policies are like of another the time Trump's, I think. he calls his wife mother that really grosses me out yeah. and I think says a lot about he's him he's icky he's but icky besides that <laughs> um but you know what's interesting is that it, Trump has sort of opened the floodgates here and like you said to this like authoritarian state so what is to say that you know Trump gets thrown out i mean i think on the one hand that would prove to me if trump was thrown out for colluding with russia and for clear ties and in influencing the election that there is still some integrity left in congress and that congress so. is willing to do something about no i, I th- to the you know 
to whatever amount that counts, I mean, like they would still be willing to throw him out based yeah. on breaking the law and doing something undemocratic and un-American, right? Mm-hmm. However, does you know does Trump open up? this like floodgate for Pence to come in and put into effect all these backward policies that he we know he supports. I don't know. What about you, Selena? Do you think that like if Pence comes in, he'll put in a bunch of backward policies? Absolutely. I mean, he's shown that. He's proven that when he was governor. What's the difference between Pence's policy ideas and Trump's? I'm not 100% sure. I think that the the diff- they have very different leadership styles. Uh, Donald Trump has proven himself to be very reactionary, and he speaks out of emotion and anger and ego. Um, but I think that besides that, I don't know what he's really good at, and I think that the people surrounding racism. him— uh, racism, right? Uh, perpetrating r- racism. I think that the people around him are taking advantage of his stupidity, mm-hmm. and they're trying. They're trying their best to push their uh, policies and legislations um, while Trump distracts the rest of the country. Well, I think that Mike Pence is definitely driven by conservative ideology, whereas Donald Trump is driven by worshiping himself, right? <laughs> and so Donald Trump isn't necessarily tied to specific ideology. Mike Pence is, right? We know that about him. He's very conservative, mm-hmm. very anti. Anti, um, anti-black, anti-gay, anti-woman, anti-woman, right? He won't mom. be in the same room as another woman if his wife isn't present alone. You know, like he he has some very conservative ideologies that he holds on to, whereas Donald Trump kind of just does whatever he wants to do to stay popular, right? So, I mean, that is scary because we know what we're getting to an extent with Pence, right? Uh, Donald Trump, that's something that everybody says about him. Like, we don't know. We don't. We well, just don't know what his ideologies are. Um, Pence, we do know to an extent what we would be getting. We don't know to what extent he would roll out his ideologies and implement them, but I'm sure it would not be not be good. I'm, I'm going to push again. Trump's, Trump is an idiot. We know that. But the policies he's pushed out so far have been pretty conservative, and Republicans have been pretty happy with it. What would Pence do differently policy-wise? Um, I said it would be the same. Yeah, so Jackie? Yeah, I guess it w- I don't know that it would be that much different. I, I wonder, though, given Donald Trump's um, place in the office before, then, you know, we're speculating that this is in a world where Donald Trump is impeached and no longer in office. Um, would Pence be more powerful and more dangerous as a president with, you know, coming into office on the heels of Donald Trump versus if he were to be elected on his own? Yeah. I think that there's the potential for that but you know i don't know it's scary right it's scary and we're in this position where we're sort of damned if we do damned if we don't like if donald trump is impeached if it's proven that he colluded with russia and influenced the election i mean he would you know have done something tremendously illegal and outrageous and you know be i would want to see him impeached for that however you know is the alternative much better i don't know it's hard to say it's not It's not looking good. It's looking pretty grim. It is. It might not be better, but it would be different. And maybe it would just upset the political system so much and shake things up so much that not a lot would get done. And then, you know, in 2020, there would be a fair election. So pretty much what's been happening the last 10 years. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the conclusion is, I know it's a little defeatist, but yeah, Selena? No, and I mean, I know that we are boiling down to the conclusion, but I wanted to say that I think I wanted to actually commend Robert Mueller because I think that he's been doing a he's been doing his job here. And there's been a lot of um, talk and buzz about trying to fire him. I think like Fox News, uh, the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, they've all been denigrating Robert Mueller. And I think that if we want to we want to see this investigation played out. 
Congress could do something that sounds easy and should be easy. They could just pass legislation to protect Robert Mueller um, and, and get that signed. But but like Stanley said, Republicans and, you know, Jackie, you said it too, right? Republicans are all into making sure they stay in office and they have a job rather than holding our leaders accountable, even if our democracy is at stake. Jackie. But I do think that's that Congress not, needs to push for that's that. not going to be Congress's job. That's going to be our jobs as an electorate is to hold our elected leaders accountable because they're not going to do it. They have no incentive to do it except for our vote. Right. So if we don't hold them accountable, they definitely are not going to hold anybody accountable. So I, I just finished reading Tanahasi's new book. We were eight years in power. And he, he has a story where really he's talking about his writing. But um, he starts it off by talking about religion, and I really appreciated it because he talks about when he was a kid and, like, these other kids that used to bully him literally got off of a bus, chased him five blocks just to jump him. And he said in the moment when I was happening, you know, and he was terrified, but, like, he felt something in him breaking him. And it was just, like, not a disgust towards the kids that, was, that were beating him up. He expected that from, him, from them. But there were adults walking by, people that could have intervened, that did not. And he said it was that at that moment where he understood that the only person that would save him was himself and that he could not rely or expect expect others to be moral or to be right and to the right thing. And he used that metaphor to talk about his writing and, you know, to say, like, you know, I had the right and I can't expect anyone to appreciate it or give accolades or read it or whatever. I had the right with no religion. But I think that that story kind of fits for us right now. This Mueller investigation is very important. But we need to understand there is a very real um, possibility that nothing will happen. Republicans care more about power and staying in office than they do about doing the right thing. They have proven it time and time again in the last eight months. Donald Trump has a stronghold of support from Republican voters. Most of them don't think that he did anything wrong, as you can see from Fox News, Breitbart, and others. We cannot wait for Mueller to save us. We have to save ourselves. And like Jackie said, that means going out to vote. You have to vote in your state elections, in your city council elections, in your congressional elections, in your Senate elections, in the presidential elections. You have to vote, and you have to vote the right people in office. Because if you do not, these same people who have been gaming the system, they will remain in power, and they will not be held accountable. Do you know why? Because there's no one to make them be accountable, and they will not save you. They don't care about you. With that being said, guys, we're going on a quick break. When we return, it'll be the news roundup. Attention, she praises an image she prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she don't see. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Jackie, mother-loving, money stacks, Cohen. Alyssa is not here this week because she is at the New York City Marathon, probably somewhere arguing with someone and winning that argument. And that person is trying to walk away, but she will not let them because <laughs> she has to let them know that she has won. And if you want to know what we were talking about, we were talking about the the Russia scandal, and the people that Robert Mueller has charged so far. But now we are at the news roundup where we talk about things that make you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or just scratch your head. And usually I have something good to talk about, but I'll make one quick note of a good thing, then talk about something that's had me ticked off all week, even when I didn't have power. What? Christoph, good thing. Christoph Porzingis is a freaking beast. 28 points per game, 7 foot 3 shooting threes and dunking. What up, Knicks tape? That's oh. a good thing. Let's go. Every day. All day. Now, 
I just want that, you to remember this like optimism and hope. Yeah, because in a week like, they're gonna be yeah. like <laughs> one in eighty-two. The Knicks always get you hyped the first two weeks of the season. I know, and then it's just downhill. Yeah. Well, oh, we gotta uh, keep hope alive. Not with the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're only the Trump supporter, so there's that. Oh. But um, I digress. Donald Brazell, the in, the former intern chair of the Democratic National Committee or convention, whatever you want to call them, she put out this um, op-ed excerpt from her book in which she says that Hillary Clinton did, in fact, rig the elections. And she said that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign had um, a contractual agreement where the Clinton campaign was going to be giving them money. And with that money, they had full control of everything that DNC did, including who they hired and how they spent their money. So I was one of the first people in my network to respond to this. And I said, you know what, Bernie people, I, you were right. I'm sorry. She like the DNC did try to rig the election for Hillary. Since then, plenty of other people have responded, expl- saying that this is not a weird thing. And if also the contract states that she did not get control of the DNC until the general election, if she won the primary, they've also said that other candidates could have made this agreement. But Bernie chose Bernie's campaign chose not to. So now there's, there's this mudslinging going back and forth. And I don't know what the heck is true or not. And this is just from people on our side. Have you guys heard this story? No, a little bit, but I haven't been following it too uh, closely. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely big news. And, well, I mean, my initial reaction was, why air dirty laundry, especially at this time? Like, Her it was just money. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but think about it. Like, we were fo- all focused on Robert Mueller and the um, indictment. The um, indictments, and then all of a sudden, Trump is like, but look at the Dems and crazy Bernie and Cricket Hillary. So I was kind of like, really, Donna? But I'm like, I get, okay, but you guys just confirmed it. Her book is coming out, and she wants to make sales. And then I heard that she actually wants to, um, she's joining, like, Team Bernie. And then she also said that she was going to enter into the election um, herself uh, oh, if okay. if um, if she after after it was found out that Hillary Clinton may have rigged the primaries. So like I don't know if it's like a lot of self motivation here. That's basically what I'm you alluding at. Well, no, no, like so like she's self motivated in like a lot of aspects to like air this out. But like Stanley said, like one of the closing things you said uh, was that this stuff happens. Like we don't like it. I think that you know politics is an extremely dirty game. People who get involved have to get their hands dirty, and it just speaks further to why uh, having a two party system is extremely problematic. I think that it helps Bernie and his argument and his mm-hmm. base because it's like Bernie comes in. Sort of like that left wing populist who was like, look, even though he's involved in politics, he's not that deeply involved in the DNC or the Democratic Party. So he's almost like an outsider, even though he still has uh, internal insight. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it just I mean, like like Stanley said, it just it, it big it basically advances the Bernie argument to why we can't trust Hillary or the sure two party system. Though, because like reading further into this. The, because, like, NBC published the agreement. She had no control over anything until after she won the general election. The RNC has done this. They did it with Mitt Romney. They right. did it, they did it with, They would have done it with Donald Trump, but he didn't want to work with them. This is not weird. And then also, in the article, in, a, in an excerpt from her book, Donna Bazaar herself said that she looked through every single department and could not find, like, any corruption or wrongdoing. But then she said that they had rigged the election. And, now, and she said specifically that agreement was how they rigged the election. But there was nothing clear. Also, the DNC doesn't control when we set primary dates. It doesn't control board of elections. It doesn't control, you know, Bernie putting money in black, in, in black states to, like, get those votes. It doesn't control any of those things. And they had the same rules in the 2012 primary, which would have heavily favored Hillary. I mean, the 2008. 
an A primary, which would have heavily favored Hillary, and she and she lost to Obama. But then, like you know, the Bernie Bros are so passionate. I want to, I want to give them a win. I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and yeah, it, it's definitely really really messy. But I'll say that if it's true, why not like. If it's true that she did corruption, why not give us harder evidence? If it's not true, why would you put that kind of red meat in the water yeah. right now? That's why I said it's self-promotion. Yeah, yeah, it clearly is. I mean, especially if she has a book coming out and yeah. like amidst everything else that's going on right now, it's just not, it didn't seem like well-received yeah. news from her. Can I, can I just give a shameless plug? Yeah. So Donna Brazile is actually going to be speaking at the Black Enterprise Women of Power Summit coming up in February at Disney World. So that's going to be interesting. And we were so, oh, I, I, let me not air everything else yeah. out. But yeah, we, we're, we're, we're going to have a very interesting time that there. That will so be interesting. It yeah. actually, it, it kind of helps us a little bit. Well, so. so next story. Are you guys following the Virginia primary, the governor primary? Yeah, the that, governor election, I mean. Yeah, it's getting pretty intense. It's not getting, it, it's pretty racist. Like, flat out racist. Edgelepsy. In Virginia? Yes. What, what, what a surprise. <laughs> well, Virginia is like a light blue state. So, yeah. and like, they have a lot of Democratic um, people in leadership there. Well, tell yeah. us what's going on. Yeah, so pretty much what's happening in Virginia, Tom McCullough, who was the, um, the governor over there, his term is over. So now he... Um, so now, like, you can, you can only run one term in Virginia. So his um, deputy governor is running for the position, and he's running against Edge Lepsey, who worked in the Bush campaign, who has been a political operative. And Edge Lepsey has been pretty much doing some pretty racist stuff, saying that um, Northam once let the MS-13s into the community, saying that the immigrants are going to rape people's families, and depicting people of color, particularly Hispanic people, in some pretty disgusting ways. So they asked Northam if he would protect sanctuary cities, and Northam said, no, I would not. Now, um, Democracy for America put out a statement saying that Northam was racist for that comment, and there's been a big debate about whether that's appropriate right now with Jalepsi so close to winning, and I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that. Selena? No, still, you're absolutely right, and I think that this is why this race is so crucial. If Democrats do not win the governorship in Virginia, that's going to show that, number one, running a platform on white identity politics that skew towards racism and white supremacy works. Yeah. It worked for Donald Trump, and it's going to show that it can work even in statewide elections. So it's a problem. And I think that if Democrats cannot win this governorship in a state that's light blue and, like, is very, and, like, skews very left, not extremely no, left, it. not extremely left, but they're more so left than right, I mean, it's a problem. It's more swing. I, okay, I, I so wouldn't it's a swing. Yeah, because Tom McCullough was not a very progressive um, candidate right. himself. But I, but I think to speak to Selena's point, I think that the Democrats have a problem. They know that they have a problem. And if they lose this election, they have an even bigger problem and they need to figure it out because 2018 is a month and a half away, right? And, and you know, they, I mean, granted, they have like a full year before the midterm elections to get yeah. their act together. But that's the, that time is going to fly by, and they need to really have a strong strategy if they have any chance of winning. And Absolutely. In Jersey, they use, yes. it's just like aggressive racism, and it's working. Right. right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's working. Like, even Barack Obama is campaigning for the Democratic candidate in New Jersey because that's another state that Democrats definitely want to win. But again, I mean, who... It's 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 funny. It's almost ironic to say who knew racism could work that well, but it like it really <laughs> does. Like, be racist and you could win over the white vote. Great. But so like the debate about like, do you think that Democracy for America was right to call 
Northam a ra- make a statement and call him racist a couple days before the like a big election because if Lepsey wins, he wants to, gen- to to um gerrymander that state to pretty much entrench Republican power there until 2032. The stakes are very high in Virginia. If that happens, you can forget about Virginia in any presidential election well, or even Senate or congressional election. Well, what do you think? Yeah, Stanley. Honestly, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, because I'm the radical, right? <laughs> Honestly, they were dumb. That was a dumb statement. You 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 have DFA Democracy for America has enough power because that's a Howard Dean made organization and even he said they were wrong for that they have oh, enough wow. power they could have gotten they could have had a conversation with him behind closed doors to press him on that and but like right now you are facing someone who is using actual racism to to win his election he will be a lot worse than somebody who says he doesn't want sanctuary cities you could say that and still provide sanctuary cities in in the state. It's just that, like, you understand that because of how poisoned the waters are, you, you can't necessarily do that. But then for me, there's also the debate of how much are you going to go and, like, compromise right. before, like, you cross a line. There's no easy answer there. And I think that we've, we have had these kind of debates this past year where we've talked about, you know, like, you don't want to just, like, shun identity politics. Some people do. But, you know, you want to be cognizant and not just, like, turn a blind eye and ignore acts of racism or sexism or homophobia or xenophobia just because the other guy's worse yeah right but there is it there's this gray area it seems where there's this like acceptable behavior to a point but where is that point i don't know yeah, yeah no and, and just to shift gears a little bit um so donald trump Uh-oh. who absolutely Uh-oh. loves and obsesses over twitter was shut down on twitter last <laughs> week for 11 whole minutes and honestly, I felt I felt a calm wash over me in those eleven minutes. I didn't know what it was until afterwards. It was a sigh of relief. So apparently, an employee for t- um, Twitter on their last day of the job accidentally, um, accidentally, right, like dismantled the Twitter account. But I mean, the thing is, even though a lot of people were like, "Oh, I love this employee. Can I buy him pizza and a beer?" It also is almost like problematic because like our president chooses to use Twitter to make really important announcements and declarations and it's like if somebody has access to uh, that Twitter account what if they would have tweeted something out like hey we are going to go to war to North Korea or I mean um, or said something about aka Rocket Man or something so it could have been as opposed to when the president does (laughs) that himself right as opposed to we would have just saw that and had seen that and just ignored it or whatever like responded to it in the way that we always do it's not like anybody could tweet anything from Donald Trump's Twitter account that's even more outrageous than anything he's already tweeting. Let me just say to that Twitter person, I owe you a leader of Hennessy for your great work. You know what? How often do we get people that stand up to injustices? <laughs> How often do we get people that will stand up and say, Donald Trump, you are a trash burger? How often do we get somebody who knows that something is being done wrong and when he walks out, he leaves you with a petty note? We need more petty kings and queens walking down these streets, messing things up for these trash white people. And until we get to that moment, we will always be heroless. So for you, Mr. Petty Twitter God, this song, Hero. Hennessy Hero, yeah. That wasn't a break, guys. That, I just want to let that rip for a little bit. That Twitter employee is a Hennessy yes. Hero to Stanley. A, a Hennessy Hero. Listen, beloved.
we're rooting for you. If you need a job somewhere, I could probably get you a job at Costco for like eight dollars an hour. Well, it's not a lot, but it works. Speaking <laughs> of people we're rooting for, so Colin Kaepernick's birthday was last week, um, and we also know that Papa John's is saying that they took a huge slash in, in slash in sales because of the NFL protests. No, have you ever had Papa John's pizza? It tastes like hot Hennessy and dog crap. No, That's it's not why that they, yes, bad. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They just get some cheese and then they spit on it. Then they throw <laughs> some garlic on there and shake it in a box and bring oh it God. to you. The um, only thing that tastes worse than Papa John's is dirt. Actual dirt. <laughs> well, Papa John's is garbage. And then they got the nerd to put like a little garlic knot in the box. with Like, no. <laughs> and we know white people have a history of not knowing how to season. And Papa John's pizza is a perfect example of that. Well, I think Stanley may be reflecting a little bias because the owner of Papa John's does support Donald Trump no. and has no, done no, no, like no, 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 no. <laughs> wait no like objectively speaking their pizza is trash yes I mean, like, well, we're New Yorkers. Pa- you have to, yes, we are New Yorkers. We know good pizza. Their exactly. pizza is garbage, pa- and so are their management. Papa John's pizza tastes like the sweat off the back of Forrest Whitaker's neck. It is <laughs> disgusting. And how did you know how that tastes? Because I've had Papa John's before. <laughs> That's why. I made that mistake. And he knows right? Forrest Whitaker, I, and he doesn't want to talk about it. Exactly. So moving on. Thank well, you for body shaming me, Selena. No, speaking of Stanley alluding that he's licked the back of Forrest Whitaker's <laughs> neck, so uh, Kevin Spacey is uh, back in news because of the sexual allegations that he's been harassing young boys. Molesting young boys. Can Molesting we, young, young, young boys. Wait, can, I, can I introduce this, please, Selena? Go ahead. Here's what happened. Uh, I think Mike Rapp. Um, Anthony. Anthony Rapp, who is amazing because he was the, one of the original members of the one of my favorite musicals, Rent. He came out and said that when he was 14, Kevin Spacey climbed on top of him and tried to make out with him at a party when he was drunk. Kevin Spacey was drunk, not him. So people was like, oh, snap, Kevin Spacey, are you really doing this? Kevin Spacey responded by saying, hey, guys, I'm gay. Sorry. (laughs) That is what happened. Right. I mean, which is so problematic for so many reasons. Like, number one, like, you know, he came out in the worst, what people are saying is the worst possible way by sort of defending himself and these allegations against him for molesting minors by saying, oh, it's essentially, oh, because I'm gay. Right. Which is so problematic to people who are gay. And there's already a lot of like misinformation out there about and, you know, people on the right who conflate homosexuality with pedophilia pedophilia and uh, whatever else, which is outrageous. And so it was just like a very like his actions were harmful to individuals and his statement was harmful to tons of people in the way that he came out. That's like saying that, like, you know, Stanley has been um, someone's accusing me of like killing a cow and i say you know guys no sorry of, of committing murder and i said you know guys i gotta admit you guys i eat meat <laughs> it, it's so what that yeah. doesn't mean anything. right right exactly like that's not like okay you're gay but also you are a child molester and now house of cards is going to be claire underwood only for the last season Which, that's fine with me yeah, ditto. anyway so yeah. look can i just say this i don't think say anybody asked those young victims what they were wearing when they were molested and harassed <laughs> by Kevin Spacey. I just, I'm or, just, what like, would you wear in rap? Right. You, like, I just, I just want to, like, honestly, like, because we, we talked in depth about Harvey Weinstein and sexual harass- harassment in the Me Too campaign and how victim blaming constantly goes on. And this is just a clear, uh, this is just a clear uh, example of how 
you know, it doesn't always happen like that on the other end. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, but I also want to no, say that. I mean, a that victim is a victim. A Don't victim get me wrong, but I'm just trying to point that out. Yeah, and I do think that's important. I mean, like, I've heard a lot of people, like, a lot of women come out recently and say things like, you know, like, this isn't about men. It's about women being, like, victimized by um, sexual violence, which, you know, I understand where that is coming from, like, as a woman and as somebody who has experienced sexual harassment. And um, no, you have Yes, believe it or not. We all have, for the most part. I a would woman assume. who's experienced sexual but, harassment. But it's, it's important to know that men and children have too, and I think that it's really, you know, for any victim to come out and talk about their experience is incredibly brave. And so I, you know, I, I just want to say that. No, yeah, no. Well said. We do have a comment from Kenroy Charrington, who is watching us via Facebook Live. He says he wants to comment about when we talked about Russiagate, and he said it's disturbing that the president and his staff as well have ties to Russia. Total conflict of interest. We yeah. stand with you, Kenroy, on that, and we appreciate you leaving a comment. Guys, if you are listening and you want to chime in, you can give us a call at 212 Three. You can also tweet us at beher underscore radio. radio. And, and just in case the overlapping voices make it harder for you to understand what was said, mm-hmm. it's beheard underscore radio. All so, right, guys, so we do you. have to go on a break. When we come back, we got a new goddess joining the conversation. And hopefully she's as petty as the queens that exist in our world already. She is. I see the petty aura all over you. Goddess Petaloma. <laughs> we'll be right back after this petty note. AKA song from Rents, because why not play Rents? I got the black lace front and it's straight from China with the lace from China with something in China. When you spit a high bar, you can't rhyme the same words. Nicki Minaj's verse on this was kind of whack, though. All right. Mm, first bars. of all, first of all, n- Nicki Minaj is the only person I know who will spit a 16 and rhyme lace front with lace front. First of all, Stanley, (laughs) Nikki kills it. No, her verse in Break It Up was banging. Okay, she killed that. Cardi B's verse in um, Motorsport. Ooh, motorsport was definitely Cardi B's really verses good. are hot because she doesn't use proper like, grammar. So she's like, "I made him did what he want," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and by me, Issa Laurent. <laughs> right, you just but like right, I that's can hear, true. I can hear like, and you know, I don't know where you're from, Natasha, but I'm from Eastern York, Brooklyn, and I, I can tell you right now, you can hear the block on somebody's voice. You can tell that from the block when they start talking. And every time I hear Cardi B, I can just hear Hennessy and Domino <laughs> games on the stoop. And that's why we all love Cardi B. <laughs> and an unnecessary shooting a block away. Right. And like I miss those days, you know. Right. All right, guys. <laughs> so we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where Stanley wants to give us all of his commentary. On Nicki Minaj. I see him hating over there, but he loves Cardi B, so he we'll love, love you because you love Cardi B, Stanley. And you've been following her for a long time, too. Yeah, you've you always loved her. You, was, you wrote a whole post about Cardi B yeah, like two years ago. Mm-hmm, when she was just stripping and right. on Instagram. Yep. So, I remember when she first quit and she was like, I miss stripping y'all. When they throw the money on you, you feel so powerful. Yeah, I remember when she said that, too. Stanley Aww. felt empowered. <laughs> All right, guys, so we're back. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Stanley Fritz and Jackie Cohen. Alyssa Fuchs is at the marathon, but we have a very special guest here with us who I yes. will introduce in just a few more moments. The suspense. <laughs> the suspense right. is killing me. Yes, the, uh, we have a little suspense here, guys. So, um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about the multi billionaire and Trump supporter named Joe Rickers, who owned DNA Info and The Gothamist. 
before he decided to shut these news sites down because they voted to unionize. As a result, over 100 employees are now out of work, and New York City has lost two staples in local journalism. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened in a nutshell. The longest story, this is what happened. It was about two weeks ago when workers at DNA Info and The Gothamist voted to join the Writers Guild of America, which represents writers at The Daily Show, ABC, CBS, and even public shows like Sesame Street. Now, Joe Rickards warned them not to unionize. But once they did, he said, screw that, and announced he was shutting down both outlets along with their sister sites, despite the fact that the sister sites did not volunteer to unionize. Mm -hmm. He was like, everybody has to go. And sister sites in L.A., in D.C., I think they had a few others as well. Chicago, Washington, and San Francisco. And in addition to that, the sites were scrubbed, cleaned, and it wiped out years of reporting from these journalists. All their archives, gone. Yep. Gone. They had no links for their stories for days. It's back up, though. DNA Info was back up since this morning, guys. FYI. Oh, that's great. Yep. So while it seems to be clear that Joe Rickards was making good on his threats to pull the plug on both these publications if they joined a union, he said in a public statement, the decision was purely financial. He said, and I quote, DNA Info is, at the end of the day, a business. And businesses need to be economically successful if they are to endure. In response, the Writers Guild of America East argued that, and I quote, it is no secret that the threats were made to these workers during their organizing drive. Nonetheless, we have lost two publications that were indispensable to local neighborhoods and news in New York City. Mm -hmm. And local reporters... Dozens of them are now out of work. And local reporters are the people that deliver the news that really matters to us. They tell people like Stanley what's happening on the block. They're the ones that report about the slumlords. They're the ones that report about the schools that need to be restructured and which schools you should send your children to. They're the ones that also talk about where are the best food places in New York City in case you want a BLT. Or where the trains are messing up and which trains you should avoid. Gothamist, thank you. I used to always check them on the weekends. Absolutely. Right, yeah, Gothamist used to put out a guide that said exactly what train service um, was affecting what lines yep. on and, you know, delays and whatever for the weekend when everybody else is like wondering why is my train not running on yep. a Saturday? They right. were the ones explaining why. Right. So we have a lot to discuss here, especially about what this says about the state of journalism and giving reporters the right to unionize without fear or threat. And to help us with this conversation, we have a very special in-studio guest named Natasha Alford. She is the deputy editor of thegrio.com, where she reports on most of critical news and issues shaping society and culture. Her work tackles a wide range of subjects, including race, gender, education, pop culture, and politics. She also graduated from Harvard University. Uh, She used to work in finance and education and policy, and she can bust a mean wine because we were in <laughs> Barbados together. So we might have to play some crap over music because... I think I'm proudest of that accomplishment. <laughs> yes. Everything <laughs> else is cool, but honestly, that Harvard makes me was the fine, most proud. But, you know. She yes. can throw it in a circle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Natasha can throw it in a circle. Welcome mm. to the show, Natasha. What's up, guys? Good morning. What's up, everybody? It's so good to see you. The Queen yeah. Petaloma, welcome. I, I accept that. I accept the petty prize. I've That's had right. some petty moments in my life. But, Selena you know. is like pretty good with pettiness, but 
but then she she covers it with have a blessed day. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's like, Jesus loves you. That's growth. growth. Right, <laughs> right. Yes. Stanley yes. is king of petty, honestly, seriously. Personal level and in politics. Hennessy. I can event I can attest <laughs> to that. So I just gave an introduction to mm-hmm. what is happening here, and I want to sort of open up this conversation to the panel. And, of course, you guys, if you're listening, you can call us up at 212-6903. And I want to talk about the impact that these two fixtures in local journalism have in and on New York City. I mean, Jackie, you mentioned how uh, the Gothamists in particular talked about uh, the MTA. Sh- oh, uh, yeah. So and, I, I mean, I the shutdown of Gothamist has affected me both personally and professionally i mean i read gothamist every day right because they do great news coverage but they also cover things that aren't you know the most like critical newsworthy thing like they'll show they have always these great um they've had great pieces about like new york in the 70s and they'll have these like great video guides about you know and displaying artists and photographers and telling you where to get the best like dumplings in new york city or what to what museum galleries to check out this weekend in addition to doing great news coverage and gothamist and dna info as an advocate as a transit advocate have always shown up at news events at rallies every single event i can possibly think of that we've held they've sent reporters to cover so they've really you know like hyper local journalism is so important and they've done a great job of covering news stories that larger publications haven't covered but they've always been on the ground so this is a tremendous loss for new yorkers yeah and you know let me tell you you know i I was doing comms work for a while i just switched back to um more like campaign stuff but at my last comms job when i was working for we act for environmental justice we had a um a member who lived in Polo Grounds houses and her house was covered in mold. It was making her sick. We called Nacho all the time. We protested. They would not listen to us. I worked with a reporter from DNA Info and he wrote an entire like um, feature piece on her. The next day, Nacho came in and removed all the mold wow. from the apartment. Like, that's the kind of power that these local publications yeah. have. Um, um, Gothamist was the one that told the story about the the, um, the mayonnaise seasoning, the person that seasoned her food with mayonnaise that also had the bullet holes on her wall in her restaurant. Oh, Gothamist the, was the Becky one that... in Brooklyn? Yeah, Becky with the unseasoned wall, food yeah, restaurant. Right. <laughs> right. They were the ones that broke that story and then it got bigger everywhere else. They talk about these important things that are happening in our community, that are happening with our local elected officials that you're not going to get from Huffington Post or from New York Times or from Breitbart, but you should not be going to Breitbart anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or if I can just say, that will be repeated by national outlets, right? Yep. So the yeah. local news outlets are the ones that are doing that work on the ground and a lot of those stories end up going viral or going national in in a way that you know the national reporters may not have time to do that footwork I don't think people realize just how much goes into local journalism and um, it's really the foundation of democracy when you think about it because if you don't have gatekeepers at the local level that means that a lot more stuff kind of can get swept yeah. under the rug. And no, they get Nata- paid crap, too. Oh, no, uh, you're right about that, Stanley. And Natasha, before you started as the deputy editor of The Grio, weren't you a local journalist oh, upstate? Definitely. Yeah, I, I worked at CBS in Rochester, New York. Um, Rochester is uh, an incredible town. I'm from Syracuse and Rochester, so shout out to upstate New York. Um, but it's also a town that's dealing with poverty. You know, you have uh, uh, one of the highest percentages of childhood poverty in the nation oh yeah right in Rochester, yeah absolutely and so even if you're not in a big name city that's something that that's an issue that affects everybody and you need people to do good work around that but I remember being a reporter and like going to a crime scene for example right and they have the the press pool and you know the police are the first ones there and you get a report about what happened from law enforcement right 
nine times out of ten, the reporters, you know, you're under deadline, you're under pressure, you just take whatever is sort of given to you in that press release. But a good local reporter is going to go and they're going to dig. They're going to talk to the family. They're going to go, you know, scope the community to see what happened, and you will get a balanced report in that way. But I feel like when you have fewer foot soldiers on the ground in that way, you only get one side of the story, and all it is is just regurgitation. You're essentially, you know, PR for whoever is most powerful exactly. and in charge, but a true reporter who's given the resources can can really find what the truth is. Absolutely, and I think that so many news outlets are driven by clicks, website clicks, and mm-hmm. creating headlines that are clickbaity, and we're just aggregating different types of news sources like look I've worked for a number of news sources myself and they're like you can spend time writing a featured piece and and doing interviews but we need to make this revenue we need to make money and you need to write a certain number of stories that are going to give us clicks so we can please advertisers but like Natasha just said like when you have local reporters who are on the ground who are going to community board meetings who are you know they live in these communities and they care about them or they are they more so understand that uh, there are different ethnic communities around that don't always get the coverage that they need and that they deserve And that's why it's so important for us to even have local reporters. Jackie? Right. And I think what was so beautiful about Gotham specifically is that they they certainly had sort of clickbaity articles that you could read, which I appreciate and love, especially if I'm taking a break from work and I just want to read something light and, you know, read about, like, the best pizza slices in like the Bronx, for example, yeah. like hyper local um, <laughs> reporting. But then, you know, at the same time, so I'm there on that site, I'm reading this sort of clickbaity article. But then right next to it is a story about a bike lane that a community is fighting for in Brooklyn and, you know, the struggles that they're facing. And it's something that I definitely would not have just seen on my own. But because I'm there and Gothamist is covering everything, I'm able to learn more about what's happening on a super local level that I maybe wouldn't have access to otherwise. Or, um, once again, talking about Gotham and Dina Info, there was a, a former state assembly member who um, beat up his girlfriend, sliced her face, and then tried to use campaign funds to pay for his trial. Monster, right. Yeah, he ran for office again. Gotham and Dina Info, particularly Gotham, were really played a huge part in making sure that he did not get elected into mm-hmm. city council because of the amount of coverage that they put on that, bringing that story back up again. You need that. You, you absolutely need that. We don't have those things anymore. And that's the power of the fourth estate. Right. If you don't know what the fourth estate is, you think about clergy. I'm actually I'm looking at this on my computer right now, but we think of people like the clergy, politicians. The fourth estate is the news media or the press. And we're the ones that kind of shine a light in areas that people don't want to see. So if you weaken the fourth estate, right, or you weaken folks that are organizing or trying to demand certain rights, you're essentially silencing voices that would hold you accountable, which is really important to think about who's owning what and who's in charge of a lot of the newsrooms. Absolutely. Let's voice we heard is only owned by Hennessy. A wonderful drink, which is <laughs> we are okay, so <laughs> Hennessy which does no us. damage to your kidneys whatsoever. Might <laughs> no, no. do a damage to your Friday night. Drink though. it like water, y'all. <laughs> Drink it like water. No, but that's true. I think accountability is one of the key roles that these local publications played. Uh, and even the Gothamists, you know, they were one of the key players in helping the word man spreading to become like mainstream, yes, become so like true. a buzzword. Like, yeah. you know, and What's that? you know what stop it. As he shut, spreads uh, yes. his leg all the way. Split across the studio, <laughs> and like on, on stop it, Stanley. And on top of that, like they broke uh, a lot of the news stories that national media don't pay attention to, and even dailies like the New York Post or the New York Times. I think that 
they've been cutting back on local reporters uh, as well. They they have been, right? I think there was a huge shakeup at the New York Times this year where they sort of reduced the amount of New York New York state and city coverage that they were putting forward in light of Trump's election and sort of more national news taking precedence. So we've really depended on these local sources to get us news that affect us. I mean, this is the news that we need to know because it's news that affects us on an everyday level, right? It's what is affecting our lives, our work, the way we get to work, the way we get to school. Stanley? No, but I'm sorry. I, didn't mean- <laughs> I forgive you. It's all right. So, but Stanley, um, oh, okay. yeah, I'm going to throw it to you anyway. <laughs> what will change without these publications? For me personally, that's yes. a, this is a huge hit for me. That's the way I keep my ear to the ground on what's happening in the yeah. community, about like keeping track of local politicians, about knowing whether I'm going to go see Jackie in Brooklyn on a Friday night. It's usually the, no is the answer. <laughs> it's always the, tra- no, the yeah. trains are always messed up. <laughs> but just, you don't, like these local papers groom the next level of like, super journalists that we have most of these journalists come from these local publications and then they graduate to the daily news is and the new york times and the mike.coms and the griots and you know that's they it's kind of like a housing ground when you don't have that you're going to get more people who learn how to write a press release and can press enter so you get a job no stanley you're absolutely right i started off reporting freelancing for the amsterdam news here in harlem which is one of the oldest black owned uh media outlets in the uh, the nation but you know natasha like we know uh you work at the Grill, obviously. Mm-hmm. Do you see uh, this creating a vacuum or a void without these publications? Yeah, I do think that we're going to be missing something really important when it comes to local news coverage. Um, and again, that accountability piece, because national outlets like ours, you know, we're chasing certain stories, right? So we're chasing a big story or we're getting the celebrity interviews. But every now and then we get that local story that's like, wow, this is really powerful. People need to know about this. And and I think that we work in partnership when we amplify those local stories, right? Or we do some aggregation and we share something that a local reporter reported. So um, I, I do think that some Thing is missing and also I just again it just it kind of hurts your spirit when you think about these journalists who try to stand up for themselves and like organize and then they were basically told actually money talks yeah you know and you can you can collective bargain for your rights but at the end of the day this is a business and if if it's not making money then you know whatever good you did it's just not good enough right and after the break we're gonna talk about the revenue models because maybe something like that needs to change we'll also ask the question can journalism survive in a situation of, of capitalism Maybe that is something that we need to talk about as well. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We have a very special guest with us, Natasha Alford from The Griot here in studio. And we're talking about the state of journalism. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the state of media. Rest in peace to the gods at Gothamist and DNA Info. Rest in peace to the webs, to the news publications where there's one person working on staff and they just take your press release and publish it like it's news. Anyways, I digress. I'm not trying to be petty. I am in the studio here with Selena Hill, Jackie J. Stacks Cohen, and of course, Natasha Petaloma. Alfred. I love this nickname. I embrace this nickname with my whole heart and soul. This is great. There you go. Yeah. And Selena, yes. who was moderating this this panel that we're having on media, please educate us some more. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is that a rope chain around your neck? It mm-hmm. might be. Yeah. Would you become blood? Anyway, Stanley. <laughs> wow. All right. My so necklace is from H and M. I have. Yeah. It. I think yeah. It's it clearly it's from H and M. Oh, you got oh, money. Y'all hear yeah, that? Perfect. I got a little uh, silver gold situation like Selena <laughs> matched right. this morning. This I got this from H and M too. 
Really beautiful. Hold up air. Yeah, really did. All right, guys. So we're back. And again, if you want to chime into this discussion, feel free to give us a call at 212-650-6903. So where we left off, we talked about the devastation that is happening because we no longer have DNA info or the Gothamist and the changes that this will implicate, including in our personal lives and for national media outlets like the Grio, who use these uh, local reports as resources when Mm -hmm. it comes to uh, getting news and sharing news. On top of that, so there was some more breaking news that happened this week. We found out that Teen Vogue is going digital. They're deciding to close their print edition. This happens one year after Teen Vogue and Condé Nash decided to hire its first ever black editor-in-chief. Her name is Elaine Wilteroth. I've had conversations with her, and she told me that once she took the helm of Teen Vogue, the, the publication started doing much better. They were getting like 10 million hits on their website, and they were increasing subscriptions. But still, that was not enough to keep this publication alive in print. On top of that, The Village Voice, which is another great staple in New York City, is all digital. And then we have The New York Sun, which was wiped out completely. So, question is, does this mean that journalism as an industry is dying off? And I'll throw that to you, Natasha. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you are the deputy editor of The Grio. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, so, you know, that's a big question. Everyone listening, don't take my answer as the final answer. <laughs> it is the final answer, guys. Yes, so Our number is 646. The weight of journalism sits yes. on my shoulders. Um, I don't think this is the end. I do think that we are in a new era. And in the same way that, you know, we had this big question about what is the New York Times going to do, right? Going into a new era. There was some some rough moments, but, like, they figured out a new model. And so, for example, the New York Times is now up to 2.5 million digital-only subscriptions, which includes, you know, some of their other products. But they are growing when it comes to g- digital. So I think that there's hope. I think it's it's kind of uh, an evolution and a change we're going through. Um, but at the same time, I do worry that, you know, sometimes the way that we consume news is a little bit superficial and sort sh- short-sighted. So, you know, the Shade Room has millions of followers. I love the Shade Room. They're funny. They're, you know, sometimes a little ratchet, but... They you, have a website? They, you go to Instagram, and that's my point. You go to Instagram, you think you got the story, you click on it, you like it, you talk about it for five minutes, and then life goes on. But what about those deeper stories, right? What about the deeper reporting and, and um, just the journalism that I think goes beyond a click or a five-minute trending topic? And so I worry that, you know, when print sometimes goes away, that, again, our vision of journalism is so, like, limited, and it's just, yeah, it's not as big as yeah. it once was. I think that's a great point point i i have done this where i've shared an article Mm -hmm. because of the headline and then read it afterwards and i'm like oh maybe i shouldn't have shared this article (laughs) or i've definitely liked an article that somebody's posted um that had a you know really eye-catching headline without really reading it through or i've skimmed through it i think we've all fallen victim to that at some point or another um and i i remain hopeful like Mm -hmm. you do i think that there are there's a big change and a shift happening and I think that what you mentioned before with um, you know the like click worthy headlines that you talk about for five minutes and then move on that's something that we need to be wary of Mm -hmm. but I also see that there are 
non-traditional media publications like Vice, like BuzzFeed that have, you know, been more BuzzFeed, especially that has traditionally been that like click worthy website about like, you know, top 10 lists and take yeah. a quiz and blah, blah, blah. Doing some real investigative journalism, yep. really, you know, like look at like the Trump dossier, like they were on it. Right. So I think that that's what keeps me hopeful is that while, you know, traditional media is sort of figuring out where it falls into all of this, there are sites like that that haven't really been traditional, really thriving and doing investigative journalism still just in a different, unique way. Yes. But are these reporters getting paid? That's, that's a great question. That's the question because <laughs> most of the time they're getting paid trash. Yeah. And, and let's be honest about this. I, because my cons work and because of my organizing work, I've had the opportunity to know lots of reporters and reporters get paid trash. They don't get paid what they're worth unless you're at the very top of the food chain. Yeah. And at that point, you know, you're getting a paid an absurd amount of money and you're usually not doing much actual reporting anymore. Well, I was I was warned before going. This is a second career for me. I was a teacher. I worked in education for four years and then decided to go into journalism. People mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, you about to be broke for for quite a bit before yeah. you make it. It's it's a pyramid. Lots of people making a little at the bottom and just a few making mm-hmm. a lot at the top. But like teaching, it's a calling. Right. Yeah. And, you know, good journalists are going to do what they have to do, but they need the resources. I agree with you, Stanley, that they need the resources to do anything really well. Right. And and, and that leaves the question too. like, you have journalists who want to do investigative reporting. It it takes, sometimes it takes more resources and it takes more time and money and energy, but we need it because it holds corrupt politicians accountable, slumlords and other things that we've mentioned. So the debate sort of comes into play where it's like, should journalism be something that? almost free because it's a public service or should or does our society just not highly regard the work that journalists do and I could just speak from personal testimony when I started out in my career I was working either for free like my first the first publication I worked for is a reputable political organization I worked 50 hours a week without even a stipend they quote me an intern I don't even know if that's legal in New York City so right so that's no longer even legal Mm -hmm. but and it's like the work we were doing there was extremely important but I don't understand why it's not valued because of funding structure I think that the the direction that media needs to go to is the one that I've seen a few of them in already and that's in the nonprofit funding structure and the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people see the what's happening to media and would be willing to invest in it, especially if they can get a tax write-off. So one of my favorite publications um, does this, Alternet. They're a nonprofit, so it's Shootout. And they do they do fundraising drives, they ask for donations, and they're not as big as CNN, obviously, but it's a lot, it's it's a lot easier to like survive, I, I think, in theory, because of this. Now, the way that you know, it needs to be done and structured is in a way that like media can like be able to play both sides and like have opinion pieces without them being punished. But I think that the only way media can really survive moving forward is through a nonprofit stru- structure because as long as you have people who are in it for profit, it's always going to that's always going to be, to be right. the priority. But it's hard. I mean, you look at PBS and NPR. I mean, I you know my feelings about NPR. Right. I love NPR. I listen to NPR every morning. I really depend on NPR. Ditto. And what's beautiful about NPR and, and and you know you you pose an interesting question, which is that. I think that journalists deserve to get paid well, right? They do such incredible work and such important work, and they're literally part of the foundation of our democracy as a country. They are so necessary to a functioning democracy. So the work that they're doing is critical, yet the work that they do, I think, should be available for to everybody, not just to people that can afford a monthly 
subscription, right? So how do we maintain that? You know, you look at NPR and PBS that are donation-based organizations, but also depend heavily on federal funding. And so with every new administration, their funding is at risk with this administration now more than ever. Mm. So it's tough, you know, it's tough to say because as as somebody that works at a nonprofit, you know that sometimes (laughs) funding and fundraising can you know, be the most important thing. And you have to focus on that just to survive, it's right? There's, of my work right now. And how do you, you know, do this kind of investigative journalism? How do you report on things that maybe, or follow a story that might not end up being the most like lucrative story and, you know, fail when you have such little flexibility because you're just dependent on getting donors to fund your operation. I don't know. It's tough, you know, like the, the nonprofit structure can be very difficult because things are always at stake, right? It's yeah. always sort of like an emergency right. to keep things going and things stay on the line. Yeah, no, Natasha, complex. Absolutely. Yeah. Natasha, what are your thoughts on the revenue models, uh, mm-hmm. traditional versus, you know, subscription-based advertising? What do you think about that? Yeah, well, we know that print revenue is dropping. So we were talking about the Teen Vogue thing, and I totally get why they did what they did, even though they were being really successful in yeah. the digital space, right? So that just goes to show that a brand can be flourishing, but yet just just print is just not going to really give you your bang for your buck. Um, I think subscriptions may be the future in the same way that people find money to pay for Netflix. Remember at a time when we were like, Psh, I ain't paying for no Netflix. That's like, <laughs> what's on Netflix? And then Netflix, the content was just so compelling and then you got to, you know bigger players in the field and it's like okay I'm always going to have my 10 whatever dollars a month for Netflix so hopefully we get to that space where like conscious consumers are like I'm always going to have my whatever amount of dollars a month for yeah. the best journalism out there um, but yeah it's going to be it's definitely going to be challenging and yeah even the billionaires couldn't figure it out you know, yeah. who, who invested all this money. So I think it will definitely take some time. Absolutely. And before we go on break, we definitely want to just touch upon really quickly, like the state of black media. Mm. Um, I have 95% of the outlets I've worked for have been minority owned. And I've seen the struggles. The last one I started working for before I started at Black Enterprise is to stop playing, paying us. Like they literally right, stopped paying us and like the writers went on strike. Um, and the thing is, it's lack of resources. It's lack of funding. Mm-hmm. We've seen what happened at Ebony. I mean, there was this whole big Twitter campaign about how this one writer was not getting paid at Ebony. We've heard the same sort of stories at Essence. And like, I'm not going to air any dirty laundry, but this happens, especially in black media, because they're really under resourced. And I want to get Natasha's thoughts on yeah. black media in particular before we go on break. Yeah, well, you know, the work that we do is critical, okay? So when when you're talking about especially elements of racism in society, in a society where there are these power dynamics and, you know, black journalists didn't even exist at a lot of these mainstream outlets and still don't exist and still aren't in positions of power, we are often telling stories and expressing opinions and points of view that may not be popular or supported by the mainstream and would be killed if we didn't have our own platforms, you know, in order to to express these voices. So it is important that we exist in this society. Um, I'm looking at this article from The New York Times, July 2nd, 2016, and it talks about the pillars of black media who were once vibrant, now fighting for survival. Remembering Jet. My, my, yes. my brother, you got the yeah. Jet hoodie right on. Beauty of the week. Jet Beauty of the week. I remember getting Jet in the mail, the little magazine, and being so excited and seeing myself in those pages. Yep. And that is another thing. There's a whole generation of children 
whether you're black or white or mixed or whatever, who need to see black stories and black faces represented in a certain way. And I saw myself in black media growing up. So the idea that Jet is no longer there, you know, it's just it, there is a loss. There's a void. And so we have to fight to protect these institutions. Now, speaking of the griot very quickly, I know we got to go, but the griot is black owned. So I just want to put that out there. A lot of people don't know that we're owned by Byron Allen. He's a CEO, a comedian, a media mogul who's been in the business for a while, but he purchased the griot and he has this vision of us, you know, being at the forefront of news for black America and, and he's investing in us. And that is, um, it's a blessing to have that because I think we have the support to say the things that we want to say and to, you know, bring up a new generation of black writers and journalists. Um, but again, we're going to have to continue to be successful improve our success and that's always no matter what institution you work for that is always the kind of pressure that's on your back so absolutely listen byron if you want to give us a couple of dollars <laughs> I'm just saying, right you know, let your voice I'm, be heard I'm break us ex- off something i'm not expensive beloved i just need enough to buy hennessy and pay my rent I d- <laughs> all right i love it I yeah love it. so we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to continue the conversation about journalists having the right to unionize and rights to collective bargaining right here on let your voice be heard and what a jungle it is. 2002, looking at me and you. Selena got her Cosby shirt on. What you doing, boo-boo? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. That was Stanley Fritz, who fails to rhyme, fails to drop some hard bars. I noticed he doesn't rhyme <laughs> at the Whoa. end. I get excited for it. And I it saw a fly. Barney got shot by an FBI. All right, Stanley. Bars. I'm Selena Hill. I'm here with my other co-host, Jackie Cohen. We have Natasha Alford here. She is the deputy editor of thegrio.com. Check it out. It is black-owned. And the chief operating officer of Petty. Right. Oh, my. (laughs) I love it. Greetings. Greetings and salutations. (laughs) We are here live and in effect. So where we left off, we were talking about... Joe Rickard's decision to get rid of the Gothamist and DNA info. We know that he's a billionaire. He supports Trump and he doesn't support unions in a blog (laughs) post. Right. Seriously. (laughs) Now, in a blog post last month, he actually argued against unions. He said, and I quote, unions promote a coercive us against them dynamic that destroys the spirits of corpse business, uh, destroys the spirits that corpse businesses need to succeed and he said and that makes no sense where an entrepreneur is staking his capital on a business that is providing jobs and promoting innovation so basically what he's saying is unions hurt the corporate structure and that he was the sole investor of dna info because he invested in it in 2009 when it first started and then he acquired the gothamist back in march 2017 so he was like look I'm putting all my money in this. You guys are working for me, and this is how it's going to work. And Stan- he allegedly didn't take any money out. Right. He didn't he, take any money out. It was out. just for salary, benefits, and yet mm-hmm. it was, still struggle. Can it be his way or the highway? Let me just put on my, my, my smart glasses real quick, real quick. So when he says that unions cause division and conflict in these places, let me tell you the kind of division that they've caused historically, unions that is. They've caused um, the government to force businesses to stop making children work. So stop, they, they've caused division to stop child labor. They've also caused us to have a three-day weekend, pardon me, a weekend. 
because before you just work seven days a week, there was no time off. They also caused a 40 hour work week. They also caused making sure you had health insurance with your job. They also caused these entrepreneurs to pay you a fair wage and they help to protect you if you're being pushed out because in a lot of places without unions, people are pushed out, particularly in journalism where the pay is low and a lot of people want to get into the field. So it's very easy to be shoved out. So Ricketts, besides being an idiot and a Trump supporter and a billionaire, <laughs> is wrong about collective bargaining and wrong about unions. We need those things. Well, no, he's right because he is the owner, right? And so for yes. him, there, you know, he doesn't want to oh, see yeah, unions yeah. happen, right? Yeah. There's no... There's no benefit to him, but there's a huge benefit to the tons of workers that, you know, work to support the yeah. company that he owns. Right. So, I mean, for it, it makes sense. Like we, you know, we talked about like, no, there's never been a good billionaire. Right. Like yeah. there it makes sense for him to be against this. Right. Like that is in his own best interest to be yeah. against this, against unionizing. But at the end of the day, it's in the best interest of how many journalists and how many people that worked for these news organizations to unionize. Yeah. I mean, Ultimately, that seems like the right thing to me. Real well, quick, Selena, I just want to plug the number. If you guys want to call in with a question, comment, or curse word, no curses, guys. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Talk to us. So in addition to DNA Info and the Gothamist, which uh, tried to unionize just a few weeks ago, there have been other publications, majority black publications like The Root, mm -hmm. which had a huge debate when they tried to unionize. And the question that I have for, for you, Natasha, in particular is, you know, how do you feel about unionizing? Like, I know you work for the <laughs> Griot. I also know yeah. you're a journalist. It's like, should we have that right? Or is it business is business? So I, I don't know if I can answer that question on the record, okay. my, my personal opinion about it. Um, I will say that I do think it is important for journalists to um, demand their rights. Um, there are certain things that we deserve. Um, there are certain protections that we need and there are certain supports that we need to do our jobs. And I, I just think that it's easy um, for there to be a power imbalance, right, when you don't have that protection and you can be fired at any time. If you publish a story, you don't have that backing. Um, and again, the, the sort of grueling hours that you put in and the wear and tear on your body and all of those things, you need health benefits, <laughs> you know, like you need you need certain supports. So. Um, I do think that is it is important for uh, journalists to support each other. And I can understand, again, why it wouldn't be in the interest of, you know, a rich owner to to have to collectively bargain with a group of. Well, people. I mean, he said he was doing it because of frugality. He said it wasn't about the unions. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a bag of BS. Listen, he, <laughs> what John Ricketts has is organized money. And when you have a whole bunch of people who need this job for their livelihood and they're fighting against organized money, they are weaker. The only way they can match that strength is with organized people because organized people equal organized power. Ricketts understands that. On its face, having a union does not hurt him financially at all. However, when it comes time to negotiate salaries and they're like, hey, you can't keep paying this reporter who's working 70 hours a week Fifteen dollars an hour. You got to give him a better wage than this. Then that's when he's mad because then he has to look at his bottom line. And let's really talk about Ricketts. If we're going to be honest, there's no surprise that that media is not a field that's not making a lot of money, especially local media. There's a different reason for getting into these spaces, and that is to control the narrative. Mm. Because DNA Info Chicago. Guess where he has? He's the owner of Chicago Cubs. He has a lot of his holdings in Chicago that helps him to navigate those conversations. And also what 
what um, conservative media has been doing is expanding to these local places so that they can control the narrative and start seeping in some of their propaganda to local people. Google Sinclair Broadcasting. Just going to throw that out yep. there. 70% of, the, of televised media in the U.S. they own now. Well, guys, wow. we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, I want to give final thoughts to the panel. If everyone can just chime in 30 seconds mm. on how <laughs> media and journalism can thrive under capitalism. Stanley? Visit Grio.com, support Let's <laughs> Voice Be Heard, support yes. The Roots, support Very Smart Brothers. I would say support Mike, but they fired Tara Harvard. I mean, they laid her off, so I can't support them anymore. But support local media, support digital media, support these reporters, because trust me, if they're not out there telling the and truth. And how do you mean support? By going to their websites, reading their articles, if you can contribute by donating or subscribing, doing that and sharing it. Stop, support, stop supporting things like Fox News and CNN, where, you know where they have all this money, and their goal is to bring in ad revenue. It's not to educate, inform, or empower like us. Support us. Support us <laughs> on our Patreon account, patreon.com. Oh, I said 30 seconds. That part was 30 seconds. All right. Um, Jackie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we talked a bit about a su- subscription-based models and how that works. And, I mean, I think that, like Stanley said, we need to be able to support media because we need to recognize how critical it is, especially in 2017 under Trump's administration. We need a free and independent media. So if you're willing to spend eight bucks a month on Netflix, you should be, you know, happy to spend a couple bucks on just upholding our democracy. I, I don't think it's asking too much to support independent great media. Amen. Natasha, final thoughts? Yes, we have church in here on Sunday. I love it. <laughs> Amen. Um, I, I support everything that has been supro- proposed so far. And because I am a historian of sorts, I want to encourage everyone to look up Ida B. Wells. She is Bay. Bay, Ida Bay Wells. <laughs> this woman is just, she was so fierce. Not only did she help found the NAACP and serve as an activist and a feminist before there was a name, this woman was the first to report on lynching in the United States. And even when they were trying to bomb, bomb her home and uh, bomb her offices, excuse me, she was able to fundraise independently in order to publish her own publication. Right. So, again, this was happening like way back in the day. Independent journalists unearthing the truth by doing their own fundraising. And so I do think that you should find the personalities that you support even on my website, I am now able through Wix.com, I can have a subscription-based model. People can pay for certain videos that I publish. So I, I think that find the people who you trust, you get behind, and you can support and make sure that you give them your dollars to do good media. Absolutely, guys. I'm not going to reiterate everything that was said because I stand in full alignment and agreement. I'm just going to end by saying this. I am not sure that journalism can thrive in a capitalist-driven society. The reason why is because we're the ones that hold capitalists accountable. When it comes to corporate greed, I mean, if you listen to Let Your Voice Be Heard, you know that is an an overarching theme here on our show all the time. And outlets like The Gothamist, DNA Info, Democracy Now!, The Young Turks, they preach this all the time. And that's why we definitely need to get away from corporate sponsorships and we need to fund ourselves. This is work that is hard. Uh, We're on the ground and it needs to be supported because if we don't, Everything is local. It's going to affect you. The people that are being taken advantage of happen to be those who are disenfranchised, who are marginalized, and who come from, a lot of times, poverty-stricken neighborhoods. But we're the ones, the journalists, the independent media, that hold them accountable so that you can live your best life. And that's why it's so important for you guys to support us so that we can do the work that is necessary to uphold some type of accountability in our society. And I'll just end by saying this. Joe Rickards is a 
conservative billionaire. And when conservative billionaires don't get their way, we see what happens. They go to Twitter or they just shut things down. Uh, on that note, we do want to say goodbye and thank you to everyone who tuned in, who chimed in to let your voice be heard. Special thanks to Natasha Alford of thegrio.com. Great to be here. For joining us. You were great. We appreciate that. And guys, tune in next week at www.lyvbh.com. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard. Until next week, we'll see you later. That I fought for, that I fight for, that I ride for.